Kath, seen any movies lately? Uh, I saw the Barbie movie oh. actually last Saturday. I'm yet to go. Yeah. Thoughts? I thought it was visually really interesting. You can find me under the lights. Margot Robbie is gorgeous. The best day ever. Uh, Ryan Gosling was fantastic. So cool. Uh, I thought the messages were good. I lost me a little bit in the middle. Got it went a bit flat for me. You're actually the first person I've heard to say anything poor about it. Yeah. Really? Look, well, semi-poor. I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Catastrophic! I was glad I saw it. I was about the last person in the world to see it. Well, you're not because I haven't seen it. Oh, OK. Well, the yeah. second last so person. So there you go. And look, all the young girls around me, you know, they loved it. I think for me the messages were stuff we know, hmm. right? And what I thought was really brave was that Mattel were very happy to have the spotlight put on themselves and how they can do things better. And I thought that was really cool, actually. Okay, well, that's enough. Today we are talking about film. We haven't talked about film yet on From the Hip. No, I don't think we have. No, but now we've found a fabulous woman who can enlighten us further about film. Oh. And interestingly, she's got some actual inside intel into the Barbie movie. Oh, my God, I love that. And all the secrecy behind it. So let's welcome Katie Page to From the Hip. Welcome, Katie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great pleasure on our behalf. So, Katie, you are an events manager within the film exhibition space, but you also are a graphic designer and I know you are also somewhat of an academic. So let's begin. I'm actually interested where your film journey began. Yeah. Well, thank you for such a glowing intro, Mish. Um, (laughs) My film journey is not the most exciting It kind of came a bit later. I was one of those kids that was in dance classes, finger painting, did music from a really young age. I was a theatre kid, all that kind of stuff. Um, So I watched movies but not religiously. Um, I had a relatively conservative upbringing, so I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of the stuff that my friends got to watch in the first place. Um, so there was a lot of Veggie Tales. if you're familiar with Veggie Tales, um, No, tell us more. It's, it's Bible stories told through the lens of a cucumber, um, wow. which is. Wow. Well, there's controversy yeah. in itself, really, isn't there? <laughs> it's, Depending um, on what church it's from. Weirdly, weirdly enough, um, they kind of pioneered animation pre-Pixar. So they have left a very important mark on the world of cinema. So maybe I, I do owe a lot to Veggie Tales, but who knows? <laughs> but really, it was actually watching the behind-the-scenes features of Harry Potter DVD sets or the behind-the-scenes that would come after an episode of Doctor Who that really got me into it. Mm. And that's because I realised that cinema is where every creative practice kind of culminates to create this one magical art form. So my interest in drama and music and film, my mum was the whole costume department for the dance school I went to. So seeing costuming and prosthetics and all that stuff, I was like, wow, this is 
the place where I can do all the things that I like, which is great if you find yourself being average at lots of things and not a master of one thing, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like I am in the creative field. So film feels like a natural fit as long as I'm not the one behind the camera. <laughs> or wow. in front. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Pretty much. And so you, but, but you actually, you traversed the country to go and pursue your career further in film. So you came from, you were in Queensland and made the move to Melbourne. Was that? Yeah. I don't really think that in any alternate universe that exists out there, did I end up staying in Queensland or at least the Gold Coast. I specifically is from the Gold Coast. So it's a very tough environment to grow up if you don't look a certain way. Um, it's I mean, Barbie land. Yeah, think literally Margot Robbie literally came from the Gold Coast. So picture oh. Margot Robbie and also being good at sports. So mm. not great for the really small drama kid. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Melbourne just was a sudden thought and then once I had it I didn't think of anything else really I didn't think there was an option to study film or work in film outside of production so I didn't really expect to be able to work in film I turned instead to art history and curatorship so I did my undergrad in art history and was working for a lot of artist-run initiatives and then I realized that that's not it and realized oh I can have a career without making the films or being involved in the production of films and that's where I kind of tried to pivot and squeeze my way back in somehow. I think it's fascinating the film audience and I'm always I'm generally a myth goer but I'm always fascinated because you know Melbourne is essentially a fairly small place and then the arts within Melbourne is also small and then film is another microcosm again and yet you stand in these lines and you sit in these cinemas and rarely do you see anyone you know. I feel like one of the reasons why I always come back to film is it does feel like one of the most adaptable and accessible art forms being able to have audio descriptions for those who might not be able to see the story played out on screen or the alternative of having subtitles or open captions or closed captions for those who aren't able to hear the dialogue or the score. Um, And there's a massive resurgence in creative open captions as well. There was huge articles written up about the team behind the captions for the most recent season of Stranger Things um, because the team was so descriptive of every sound. And when you're doing a production that is quite CGI heavy, um, you've got monsters and sci-fi elements, they're very otherworldly. Finding the right adjectives can be quite tricky. And they really were able to take these really cosmic, sonic moments and articulate them in these really beautiful and sometimes like very terrifying descriptions and so for the first time that we've seen possibly ever there was articles after articles being published about the team writing the like open captions um, which is really really exciting and you just can't get that with many other art forms like yes you can go to MIF or to the cinema on the weekend 
but you can also watch it on the couch, um, in your bed, on your phone, your TV. And so I think that is something really unique and special and needs to be taken with great responsibility as well. Indeed. Um, Tell me, Katie, what's your role now? I work in events management within cinema exhibitions. So I work with the team at Village and help with a whole range of different events. I'm particularly focused on working with distributors and film festivals where I can. And then you have the odd just event hosted in a cinema that comes up as well. Um, But it's definitely working alongside those festivals or the distributors that probably no surprise to anyone is where I get the most enjoyment and excitement from because that's where it feels like the closest to cinema. (laughs) Yeah. So I mentioned Barbie earlier. Yeah, back to Barbie. Yeah, let's get back to Barbie. (laughs) So, Katie, I happen to know that you've had some involvement with the Barbie rollout in Australia, which has been the most remarkable marketing campaign I've ever seen and it will be a case study for many years to come. What what was your role in that? So I simply helped them book it in for Melbourne. So I work with Universal to book them in for events and screenings. So um, I helped them book the cinema that would be appropriate for their event and then managed the kind of operational things from the cinema's point of view. So that was kind of the role. And then sometimes helping manage content and things like that, because I could spend hours talking to you about the particularities of cinema technology, because it's very, it's very fascinating. And sometimes that does require a lot of like TLC, because there's quite a few margins like for error um, because they're very hefty files and very delicate at the same time. Um, So, yeah, kind of like an administrative and operational support perspective. And so with Barbie, which I have had a conversation with you and was astounded to hear the level of security that that surrounded the release or the, the the media release of that, can you tell us more about that? You, you I know you spoke about the phones having to go into a, a special vault guarded by security. Yeah, so that happens with a lot of screenings. So for industry screenings, often we'll need to see the film ahead of its release. So programming and marketing teams, of course, need to understand what a film is about in order to find the audience to then buy those tickets. Um, So those screenings for both Oppenheimer and Barbie like ever since those screenings, like security has just been at a whole new level, either with physical security being there or just cloaking phones, NDAs, all of this stuff that's done before. But usually you would have one or two of those things, not all three. But yeah, even like leading up to the film, like a, a year before the film, like no one even knew what the plot was. The first trailer came out quite late in the process. So for a very, very long time, the world was like, what could this film possibly be about? Because it was just very hush hush for a a very, very long time, which worked in its favour. Indeed it did. I I think it was just the most incredible rollout I've ever seen. But why particularly do you think it happened for Barbie and Oppenheimer? I mean, obviously they were released at the same time, very different content. Why, what, what stepped that up particularly? Well, I think given that the plot was so unknown for Barbie that 
the audience experience is going to be a lot more affected if word got out too soon about what the contents of the film is. Um, it's one thing to kind of spoil the ending of a film, but, I mean, once you've seen the film, you kind of understand how it is something you kind of need to, like, experience in the moment. Like you've said, Kath, it goes into quite deep places and quite critical places, mm. um, and it does it quite artfully given that this is a blockbuster that got a PG rating. Like, that's no small feat at all yeah. um, to be critiquing the patriarchy. Indeed. And I think this is just what they do for their valuable assets as well. Um, I think they started to realise how valuable of an asset this film would be and so they had to start treating it as such, which is, for me, it's exciting because it's a film made by women for women and we don't see that very often outside of the romantic comedy. It's nice to be fed something that's not just here's two people that kiss at the end and potentially live happily ever after. What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know, okay? Do it again. Closer I am but also interesting, the marry of those two, well, both blockbusters where, you know, one was so intensely male and the other one is so intensely female. And, I mean, Oppenheimer, women were, were really literally to the side of the screen and it was such this just testosterone spewing out of the out of the cinema. And then Barbie is, in fact, the the other end of the scale. So who's the who's the machine who generates the crux of those two phenomena meeting in the middle? It's almost like a conspiracy at this mm. point. Barbenheimer, ba- yeah. Barbenheimer. That was Jesus. that was more the audiences and the memification of the phenomenon yeah. rather than the yep. marketers themselves. It's one of those things where the public said something and then the team's like, oh, this could work, and they jumped onto it. It's called counter-programming or something like that Mm. where you put two opposites on at the same time in order to provide options and drive traffic. You might have a family and you have the husband goes to one and the wife goes to another, for example, and it can drive catering for a broad range of people in a single day good conversation starter, but it happens on like a citywide level as well. Like you think of the Matildas and MIF happening in the same week mm. and what a f- impact that had on the city of Melbourne because you have the sports fans mm. really excited with something to do on every night and then you have the arts crowd with something to do on every night mm. and then when their sessions end, they're all there mingling in the same bars and using the same public transport network. So it is a much broader phenomenon than just the context of these films. You're listening to From the Hip with Kath and Mish. Just going to say, we're talking to Katie Page, for anyone who's just joined us, who's a film guru and art historian and graphic designer. I'm really interested to know who drives that stuff. Yeah. Who is it, Katie? 
Great question. I would like to say it's us. <laughs> it's just <laughs> us, the viewers. I've seen some talk that maybe, well, I don't know whether they were always slated to release on the first day in the first mm. place. Christopher Nolan recently came out very angry against Warner Brothers. Oppenheim is actually his first release without Warner Brothers backing him. And Barbie was a Warner Brothers production. So some people theorize mm. that Warner Brothers as a gotcha tactic scheduled Barbie for the same day but that just increased his sales the thing is that both have kind of helped prop up the other um, in a really exciting way but I also think that we can't underplay the fact that our cinemas have been really filled with franchised content remakes sequels and here we have two auteurs releasing original content they might be from known ip or known stories but they're essentially original films and these auteurs and their screenwriters and directors working with iconic teams and really at the height of their craft releasing on the same day like it's a Mm. field day for anyone who loves cinema so whoever started it i thank them because i had a great weekend that weekend (laughs) Did you wear pink? I did for the premiere and some of the other events, but on the day of, I was back to my um, Melbourne blacks. <laughs> <laughs> Your Oppenheimer blacks. Maybe some pink Yeah, yeah exactly, in the morning. Katie, your other venture that has developed through your entree into film is that you're a board member of WIFT, which is, if I'm correct, the Women in Film and Television. Is that a national organisation? It's actually international. So there's WIFT International and it's in pretty much every continent, most major cities. And then I'm part of WIFT Victoria. Yeah, WIFT Victoria started in the 80s, like Mm. 1988. Um, so it's been around for quite a while. It's non-profit, membership-based organisation and we're all aboard of volunteers or working in the film industry in some way or another, whether it's acting, producing, writing, and the membership bases, we've got students to um, like just absolute like titans of the industry who've been paving the way for decades in Victoria and Australia. So it's a really, really unique group of people. So what's your mission? It's really quite simple, I guess, in that it's about connecting women and resourcing them to tell the stories and be in the spaces that we ought to be in. The amount of times that our channels is just like, I need a DP for a project I've got next week and I really want it to be a woman. Yep, and we do a call out and then within two days it's sorted and it's magical it's great do women struggle in the film industry is there is there a patriarchy in the film industry yeah I mean I guess the question is where isn't there a patriarchy making (laughs) things difficult for us well um but yeah absolutely um like almost any field things really started with the men and they gate kept it for as long as they could and Gina Davis is really a real pioneer in this space with the Gina Davis Institute Mm. on gender in media because they have so much data because they're like first and foremost a research institute so that their um, advocacy for change is 
backed up by the numbers because that's the language that the world speaks in. And yeah, the the pay is not fair. The amount of women sitting at the table in writer's room or directing or any kind of space, the men are certainly the ones calling the shots and having the loudest voices. It is very similar to art history in that way where the canon of great filmmakers or film producers, it's always going to be the men's names that are rattled off. So, yeah, there's a huge need for that very specific advocacy for women and that's another reason why Barbie is very exciting. Like big budgets for a women filmmaker doesn't happen very often and so it is very, very historic and that's what we need to see more of. Are there sort of avenues or cracks in the industry where women can can move in and there's that discussion about the influence of TikTok and Instagram coming to infiltrate the production of cinema or episodic mediums with these new sort of streams. Is it, are they areas for women to pioneer? Well, I think we should just be entering into any sphere and pioneering yeah, just as, feel as we always do. Just feel the fear and do it, yeah. Louise. <laughs> the people working in it now are the ones that are the guinea pigs and setting the tone. So whether that means it is easier for women or not, mm. I don't know. I think it needs to come back to like probably several steps back of how many women are in film school and if they're not, how come? There's so many like behind-the-scenes steps before we even get to a production stage. I know you've both spoken before about the importance of like financial literacy and this comes into the play as well because film is still a business and when something gets greenlit, it's because it's seen as a smart investment. So are women getting cut out because they've not been given the opportunity to have that financial conversation or that business-based discussion? So there's so many moving parts and different pieces of the pie where maybe opportunities haven't been given or we've been underestimated. So I hope that these new forms of storytelling are are an avenue of like a blank canvas for us to move in and really um, be the avant-garde. But um, whether that's actually what's happening, I'm I'm not too sure. Put um, all these young TikTokers to use. You yeah, know, the can- phone obsession could turn into <laughs> art form. Well, it could. <laughs> Are there any male members of the women in film and television? Yeah, absolutely. So there's um, anyone can join. Um, We recently had a Christmas in July party and we were so excited by how many men we had there. Yeah, they came along, they supported us, they're very active and they are there to also welcome women into their productions and collaborate because the solution is not to just be devices. In, invert the problem that we've mm. currently got. It's about having everyone working together and understanding that everyone's got a story to share. Um, Absolutely. So let's just not tell the cis white male story. So, Katie, what's your next move? Obviously, I mean, I just can't even imagine the machine, that whole Barbie machine. It must have been extraordinary. Where do you go from there? 
Well, currently we are navigating um, the SAG and AFRA and Writers Guild strikes. So, oh, wow. okay. um, we are unsure, I suppose. It is very exciting from like a political standpoint to see these people being so steadfast. Yeah. Um, it's very infuriating that they've had to be on strike for so long. I believe the writers have been on strike for over a hundred days or something now. Yes. Um, so the writers went on strike and then the actors and for the first time ever, the visual effects community has unionized. So that's very, very exciting because these people deserve to be compensated for their work and to be having fair working conditions across the board, of course. But then from my work point of view, we've now got every stage within the production process affected. So the writers is pre-production, your actors mm. is production and your visual effects is post-production. So a lot of good content is being delayed. Um, Look, sorry, we are nearly out of time, but I do need to ask you, any good tips on some films you've seen lately or anything that's rocked your boat? Well, having just come out of Miff, so I got to see Past Lives, yeah. which is a fantastic film. If I was to create a double feature, I would probably pair it with one of the films from the Before trilogy. If you've seen those, it just has that beautiful, like, romantic, grounded tone to it without any of the soppy, unrealistic, romanticised stuff. Um, so I would definitely recommend that and it is excitingly getting a pretty broad release. So definitely get around that one because we want more films like that. Fantastic. Katie, thank you so much for being with us. We're on on Instagram at from the hip underscore podcast. And we've really enjoyed speaking to Katie Page, who works for Village Entertainment and is obviously a highly intelligent woman who is very engaged in the film industry. And we really thank you very much for coming to join us for a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant. From the Hip is a podcast featuring Kath and Mish for and on behalf of From the Hip Enterprises, recorded in the studios of From the Hip. You can subscribe and find more episodes of From the Hip at fromthehip.live. On Instagram at fromthehip underscore podcast, search for From the Hip on Facebook and download From the Hip on any podcast app. Until next time, stay sane, stay safe, stay hip. Hip.